Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Now, with huge developments in technology over the past few decades, I mean, we keep talking about it, the way we market has actually changed quite dramatically. And staying on top of the latest trends is crucial if you want to communicate your message effectively to consumers generally. Now, with that in mind, today I'm sitting down with one of Australia's youngest and most awarded leaders in the marketing industry, and his name is Caleb Bush. Caleb is the Managing Director and Senior Vice President of leading experience marketing agency, George P. Johnson, and that's for Australia and New Zealand. And he's also managing director of the agency network, Project ANZ. Last year, he was named media executive of the year and runner-up managing director of the year in CEO Magazine's executive of the year awards. So it's fair to say he knows a thing or two about marketing, particularly the big brands. Now, I want to talk to Caleb about how experiential marketing is becoming a game changer for brands across the globe. I want to ask him about the importance of creativity when creating experiences and what's the difference between an event and experience because I've had lots of events in my business life, but today these are about experiences. Then I want to find out about how he actually commenced his journey from a young kid at school right through to becoming at 34 years of age the managing director of this big organisation and how those younger years of experience and those particular experiences actually formed him to become the managing director and has he used any of those things he learnt back then to be applied to his business today and for his clients most importantly. So let's get into it. Caleb Bush, welcome to The Mentor. Thanks Mark, pleasure to be here. Caleb Bush, isn't one of the other famous Bush families, haven't they got a Caleb in their family? You're not the Caleb that's related to George W. Bush, are you? No, but in an awkward turn of events, my father's mother is a Clinton, so a a trip to the US can get awkward when the Bushes and the Clintons arrive into town all the way from sunny Sydney. On the same passports. That's (laughs) mad. (laughs) Mate, um, okay, tell me about your story. I mean, you're only a young fellow, but tell me... I want to know your story, like where'd you start and how'd you start to get into this? You're, you're effectively, as everyone's telling me, you're a guru in marketing and I'm going to accept what they all say until the end of this uh, interview. Yep. Um, tell me your story, how you started off in marketing because I mean, I have read the brief, and but I want you to tell our audience. Uh, first experience in marketing. First experience in marketing. I I went to uh, a boarding school here in Sydney and, and was Which very- one? Kings, yep. out in Parramatta. Uh, They're in, the ones where there's weird sort of army, yeah, the army salvation uniforms, army, look, army looking um, thing. Which, uh, very institutional organisation. Um, and before that, I went to another boarding school. I grew up in, in a country area. Um, so boarding school for my family was the thing to do. Um, after so 15, you're a country kid. Country kid. Country, which part of New South Wales? Uh, just, actually, it was Camden in New South Wales. Camden, growing up, which was country then. Which was country Not now. as a kid. It's now yeah. a suburb of Sydney. Yeah. Uh, institutionalised to the nth degree. Um, and so I left the day that school finished, um, and went to England and it turned out that moving to England in November is not the best time of year, uh, at an 18 year old of age. So, um, so at 18 years of age, you got up and left Sydney after being at the King's school uh, for a number of years, walking around in your, uh, gray jacket with red epaulets on the, uh, shoulders. Correct. Um, being told what what time you had to turn up to rugby training or cricket training or whatever sort of training you had to do, and, and when you say institutionalised, um, 
I know I never went to one of those schools, but I know how they operate. And um, they tell you basically, especially if you play rugby, what you got to eat for breakfast, how many how many push ups, how many bench press you got to do. There's you know twenty bench presses for twenty players and every in every sort of age group. So you've got up and you've gone to England in November of whatever year it was when you're 18 years of age. Correct. That's a big call. Big call. And Who's called with them? I mean, how, how, I mean, what did your parents say? Like, No, they, they were really supportive of, of, of the fact and, you know, they, they, they sent me on my way. Um, they helped me secure a job uh, on a golf course in on the outskirts of London through a, a family associate. Um, Doing what? I, well, I was literally like a greenskeeper, but the problem was that November in England is not exactly a time to be managing a green. Um, there was, you know, an inch of ice on the ground. And so I, after two months of being there, I, I called my parents and said, I can't do this anymore. This is, this is crazy. Who do we know in, in the big wide world that you can uh, introduce me to? And we had a friend who was a captain of a boat in Mallorca in Spain. And I said, that sounds amazing. I'm slightly better Mallorca yep, to London. So I'm so I'm off to, to off to Mallorca. In what month is this? So this is now December, January. Yep. So you're and getting towards the spring, which is not a bad place to be in Mallorca. Yep. Sun was just starting to come out a little bit. Uh, anyway, uh, I saw a, a whole new world of of luxury super yachts and boats and and something that you know coming from Sydney, I, I just never quite imagined. And um, the family friend. What did you do on the boat, though? I mean, what you, what, so I, I got a, a job doing day work, sanding, varnishing, painting, cleaning. Labourer. Labourer, yep. And uh, a boat pulled into town that was a three-masted yacht called Creole. And Creole was built in 1927 uh, by the Camper and Nicholson Boatyard and was owned by the Gucci family. And the minute that I saw this boat, I just fell in love with it. And so I knocked on the knocked on the door of the boat in the marina and said, whatever I need to do to get a job on your boat, I'd, I'd love to do it. And I didn't know the backstory and the history and the family that they own the boat. I just thought it was visually stunning and spectacular. And within three months of laboring on the boat and you got a job. You yeah, got building a, job. a relationship with the, the boat captain, uh, they gave me a job. And for the next two and a half, three years, I sailed around the Mediterranean, uh, the Baltic, the Caribbean, uh, working as a deckhand for the Gucci family. Um, and, and having an experience that was completely mind-blowing for what was an 18, 19, and 20-year-old at the time. So just attempt to take me through that, uh, um, working for the Gucci family or working for the captain of the boat who works for the Gucci family, um, like, what's that look like? I mean, do you just pull up in somewhere in Italy and pick them up and what, what happens? Yeah, that's pretty much what happens. They, you know, they select a destination um, Who are we talking about here? Who's Gucci? Like the- so, uh, Gucci family history. Maurizio Gucci uh, was murdered. Uh, the trial found that his wife put a hitman out on him. There's an amazing book that you can read, The History of Gucci. Um, that was, I believe, in the mid '90s. Um, that's about the time that the Gucci fashion empire started to fall off. Before Tom Ford. Uh, was employed and private equity came in to to rebuild Gucci back into the empire that it is today. Uh, but two daughters, uh, Allegra and Alessandra Gucci, inherited the the family fortune and wealth, and that obviously included property and and boats and and things like that. So, how are we talking about? How old are they? Uh, at the time, they would have been early 20s, 23, 25. Around your age? Yeah, not yep. much older than me. So what um, are they, were they just, were they just rock up on the boat? Or were you we talking yeah, about aunts and uncles or what, what's the no, deal? No, they would have, uh, their grandmother might come on the boat, but essentially it was just them, uh, their friends, and they, you know, sailed around different locations in Europe and, and had a good time. Um, we also participated in a classic yacht regatta series. Um, so there would be different stops on the, on the route. So... All the places that you can think of, you know, Monaco through to the south of France, um, up into Italy. Um, it was it was a pretty phenomenal, you know, trip. Um, and for them, just an everyday part of life. But for me, something that kind of altered my view on the way that people could live and the way that the world works. And I just got to experience something that was um, was pretty amazing. So, so well, 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 tell me about that. I mean, what you look? How old are you now? Uh, Thirty-four. Okay, so go back fourteen years. Yeah which would be fresh in your mind. Um, it is. 
What do you think, you, apart from seeing luxury, I mean, what did you get out of that, like really deep down? What did, you, what did it reveal to you that you never knew about? A uh, couple of things. So it revealed to me that the schooling and the education that I'd had uh, put me probably head and shoulders above a lot of the other crew members who were on the boat. Um, that private education came to, to pay dividends. Uh, How? I was able to build a relationship with the um, the owners of the boat uh, and the captain that was probably, people would say was I was mature beyond my years. You know, I, I was able to converse with people of all different backgrounds and ages and, and from walks of life and relate to them in a way that was comfortable and natural and didn't feel like a master-servant relationship or that I was just a deckhand on the boat. Do you think that's because you went to King's School or do you think it's because you're Aussie? And I think you come from a country and you're a country kid. I think there's a, it's a combination of, of all of the above. I think that I was fortunate to have parents who included me in the conversation and treated me like an adult from a young age. Uh, having a boarding school experience where you were all treated as equals um, and then also just being a good, fun Aussie who's not prepared or who is prepared to, to jump in and have a go and, and you know, participate. And, and talk so, to anyone. And talk to anyone. And, and so... You know, the, my most one of my most vivid memories is we're sitting on the back of a yacht. Uh, Nicholas Cage and Kid Rock are on the boat next door playing backgammon, and I lean over and tell one of them a move, and the next thing you know, I'm sitting there playing backgammon with Kid Rock and Nicholas Cage, just because I was prepared to speak up and voice. So, my what does opinion. that say? I mean, what are, would you say to your twenty year old self again now? Have a go, have a crack. You know, the yeah, let's take a little of... further. Than that. Yeah, have a go, have a crack. But that's a bit of a, that's nearly a euphemism today. Like, uh, the, the, take the listeners through what you think that means, have a go, have a crack. I mean, you've got you to be strategic about it. Do you sort you of do. say, okay, there's Nicolas Cage. Is it strategic? I should say something and what am I going to say? Or do you just say, or do you become strategic after you say something? Do you just have, throw something out there? I mean, tell me about that. I've always thrown myself into situations and then... Strategically or, or, and or purposefully or just said, oh, fuck it, who cares? I'm just going to have a, I'm just going to say something. No, I would say it's, it's purposeful. Um, you know, there's, there's a, there's a part of the brain that sees an opportunity and you can either go one of two directions. You can say nothing and nothing will happen or you can say something and then you can, you know, be the duck smooth on the top, but under the water, the paddles are moving at a million miles an hour and you're trying to make the right decisions to help you get from point A to point B. And in that situation, you know, that's it's very much like, you know, I, I didn't know how to sail a 200-foot sailing boat before I joined the boat. You worked it out on the fly. Um, and they're things that you just either... I don't think you have inherently, but you've got to be able to, I think people are often afraid to, to take that step. And if you, if you push yourself just a little bit further than what you're naturally inclined to do, you quickly find out that you, know, you start to join the dots and things can happen for you. Because oh, I don't think it's because you went to a kingly school. I actually don't. No, I don't. I, I, I don't think it's going to do it. I think it's just a personality trait, but it's also you get rewarded. So I think that, our reward center in our brain learns that if we take a risk, sometimes we get reward. And, you know, like what you what you did or what you were doing when you are younger was taking a risk. Correct. Um, but there's not really that much downside but the, other than being rejected. Yeah. Or, but what's the big deal? So, but the rewards were, relatively speaking, quite good. I, I wouldn't say that you were, I guarantee you weren't thinking about the rewards going to land you where you are today, but... I think no. that you're probably thinking, well, I'm, I'm going to get a quick satisfaction by actually saying hello to Nicolas Cage. Yeah. There's something in that. Yeah. Or I'm going to get, if I knock on the door of this yacht captain, I might get a job, which is slightly better than the one I had because it's a nicer boat. Exactly. And it's a cool boat and one I want to work on. Yeah. And so your instinct was to try your luck. But after you did it a couple of times, the reward center told you there's a big reward in this and it actually compels you or propels you to do it again and again and, and again. again. Yep. And you start to build that reward center. It starts to become second nature to you. Yeah. But that's, I think that's what 
my my experience tells me that works. It does. It doesn't matter whether you actually are naturally outgoing because, I mean, I'm not an outgoing person, but I would do that. I have done that sort of thing myself in the past, like what you're talking about. And only and it gets to a point where, because, you know, people are going to listen to this and say, oh, well, isn't he lucky? He worked on the boat, the Gucci boat, and he got to meet the Gucci family. Well, it's not luck. It is luck that the boat pulled in the harbour. But what's not luck is that, as Caleb just said, he had a crack. But, I mean, it's it's more than that. He actually went and did something that maybe a lot of other people would naturally do. Most people would not naturally do it because naturally they'd say, well, it's none of my business or my being um, getting in someone's face. Or I mean, you know, Aussies can be that way or they can be super conservative and really respectful. And it's very interesting because that's an important part of business. Yeah. You've got to actually make those moves. And they've got to be genuine. And don't think about them too much. No. Don't overthink it. And you, I bet you didn't overthink it. I bet you didn't sit there thinking, well, you know, because when Nicolas Cage is coming and playing backgammon with the other bloke, you probably you haven't sort of sat there and made a big plan. You've just gone, I'll say something. Yeah, and the natural reaction also might be to be starstruck in the moment and ask for an autograph or a photograph. Which would piss and, them off. Which Exactly. And so rather than dropping yourself to their level and participating in the conversation that they're having and finding a connection – which is a lot where I'm going to get to and from a marketing perspective, um, it's, it's the natural instinct is to, you know, ask for the photo or, or do something that's out of probably natural character. So yeah, you're saying do something that others, uh, not everyone else is doing. Introduce your, yourself to the, to the situation differently to the way the others. And that's, that's the strategic bit. Yeah. Just do something slightly different. Yeah. As opposed to saying, oh, hi, can I get your autograph? Because you're going to look like every other deckhand yeah. who probably says that every time they pull up next to a boat. Exactly. And I guess you can transport that to today, to your business today. That You can. That process. Yeah. But let's not go to today yet because no, I want to no, do that in the second still... half of our talk. Yeah. So I just want to talk about your experiences yourself because I'm trying to build up how you've used all these experiences, great experiences in your young life to actually transport those and into your business ideas and how you think and how you run your business. Yep. Okay, so let's we let's go past uh, being on a boat for three years. Uh, then yep. what happened? So while I was on the boat, I was fortunate enough to be entrusted by the captain to be the kind of onshore manager of of the family and the girls, and they'd go out to a lot of nightclubs and parties and. Um, I got to see a different side of, of Europe at these exclusive kind of, you know, Jimmy's and Monte Carlo. Yeah, all those kind of awesome places. Yeah, yeah. And so after a couple of years, I, I came home for a, a funeral, I believe, uh, and um, went out with my friends here in Sydney while I was home. And, and the nightlife in Sydney was obviously not quite to a standard that it was in Europe. And I thought, geez, there's a lot of things that I've seen in Europe that I could bring back to Australia. Um, and and it, was a, it was a fortunate time because there was a lot of um, nightclubs and bars and restaurants opening up around Sydney. Um, and it was a bit of a renaissance through that period um, from about 2005 to 2007 or 8, where Sydney's nightlife was, was pumping. Justin Hemmies, a la. Yep. Yep. Which were a lot, where a lot of the ideas he gets, yeah. he gets from overseas. Overseas. So um, a friend of mine and I, uh, we started a small business that was a nightclub uh, event marketing promotions company where we would help our venues procure a crowd, book DJs, um, and and throw events and parties. Okay, well you, so you and your mate put together an events management business that you did you did you just. Uh, concoct this and then say, let's go uh, knock on the doors of a few nightclub owners and tell them how we're going to improve their venue? Pretty much. Right. Um, we, in Sydney? In Sydney. Yep. Um, so you got to, can you give me, give me any names of any joints or? Uh, yep. So uh, there was a guy called Eric Jury. I know Eric, um, yep. Yep. So Eric uh, had a bunch of- Young Eric. Young Eric. Yeah, yep. Um, With the long, long yeah, yep. dreadlocks. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he- his was, dad. Yeah. And his dad had Black Market and yeah, a whole yeah. bunch of other nightclubs. Um, so met Eric, um, saw his venues, thought, you know what, there's an opportunity here to to do a better job in some of these places. Um, so put together a, a business plan, pr- 
pretty rough. Eric, this is what we think we can do. My business partner's the music side and I'm the entertainment. Um, and together we can we can help you improve we'll the fill quality. your rooms up. Yeah. Um, we struck a deal and Eric honoured that agreement and for the next couple of years worked pretty closely with him to, to build his venues and, and to get things moving. Then what happened? The nightclub industry and the nightlife wasn't conducive to me being the best version of myself. Going from Europe, being in the sun and working th- on during the day to flipping that to being out every single night um, was fun for a year or two, but after a while I was exhausted, you know, not a really good person to my family and friends and I'd kind of let all of the important things that were my values kind of slide. So I started to retreat from that. And I found an opportunity to take the skills that I'd learned. And I um, got a job working for Future Entertainment, um, which is a music festival company that um, they ran home nightclub for a few years and they had the Future Festival and hot barbecue. And uh, a guy from Melbourne brought that up called Brett Robinson. Um, And so I started working for, for Future Entertainment. Same and deal though, like same sort of stuff. Same deal, but a little bit more structured in the environment. It wasn't just about nightclubs and yeah. uh, it was more about, you know, festival promotion. And so learn a lot more about probably marketing techniques in terms of, you know, you put something on and you've got to get, rather than getting a thousand people to a nightclub, you've got a, you've got 60,000 tickets you've got to sell. So kind of elevating the, the level of thinking that required to go into that. And after 12 to 18 months of that, I met a gentleman by the name of Peter Ricks. Uh, Peter Ricks started the ARIA Awards. Uh, he's one of the founding chairman of APRA Music in Australia, uh, managed everyone from John English to Marsha Hines, um, and still to this day um, is a great mentor of mine. And he kind of gave me a job working in corporate events. And so I, trend, I, I, I left the, the nightlife for a, for a day job and um, brought to the corporate event world really a lot of the thinking that had gone into promotion of nightclubs and parties. And, and is that where you are now? That's where I am. Well, so, that's where the business is that's, now. So that's where I am now, yes. Yeah. Corporate so, events. Corporate events. So we're at corporate events now, which corporate is what event. you're doing, because that's what I want to talk about. Yep. I want to talk about your business in the second half. I'm joined again by Matt Holland. We missed out last week, but Matt is here to talk to us about the mentor.business business of the week, the one we want to showcase, one of the ones you've got for sale, right, mate? Absolutely. Thanks, Mark. A, uh, a new one up in Queensland has just come in, and I, I, I'm quite uh, quite excited. This is, a, this is our entry into uh, the management rights businesses uh, sector. So we've- um, What's that mean, management rights? So essentially, if you can imagine one of the buildings, uh, that, you know, those big towers up in Queensland, you know, that everybody knows, you know, the surface paradise style of building. Uh, somebody's got to take care of that building. Um, so if you're an owner and you're, you know, you want to go up there on a holiday- Owner of one of the apartments. Yeah, owner of one of the apartments. Well, what you do is you might only want to go up there for three or four weeks a year, for, you know, but what do you do with the rest of the, the year? So you've got a manager on site that's going to take care of that, uh, that premises for you. But- is obviously going to take care of it in a way that's not just the, the local agent. He's on site, they're caretaking and so on. So essentially you've got an on-site manager who's managing your property but letting it. So this person that we're looking for will be in charge of the building, they'll manage it and, you know, it's a great lifestyle but also you, you it's a well-paid lifestyle. Okay, so basically what we're talking about here is um, somebody's going to sell their rights to manage all the apartments or a number of the apartments in a particular building or a number of buildings and that there's uh, $215,000 recurring income right now that's coming out of those rights. It's up in Queensland. What, are we talking about the Gold Coast? or Yeah, no, it's in, it's in Burley, oh. uh, 50 metres from the beach. Yeah. Uh, beautiful, beautiful spot right near the, the restaurants and cafes out there. So basically, though, we're talking about $215,000 worth of recurring income. That's what they're buying into and there's rights attached to that and there's obviously obligations attached to that. Burley Heads, sounds a good deal to me. It's a new deal, newly listed. So if you're interested in buying this business, you can contact Matt Holland here. He's our CEO at mentor.business and you can contact him. He's happy to help you through it. If you're looking to buy any other type of business that we might have listed for sale, please contact us. And by the way, if you've got a business you want to sell or you want to get ready for sale, contact Matt and his team and they'll look after you. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Mark. Welcome back. I'm here with Caleb Bush. 
and we are talking about his very interesting and uh, we'll call it humble beginnings as a deckhand on boats, albeit the Gucci boat, Gucci family boat, right through to where he sort of has landed today as looking after, marketing, advertising for, managing and putting on what he refers to as corporate events. But I reckon they're going to be a little different to the corporate events that I'm used to. So, Caleb, what's the name of the business you work for now? It's called George P. Johnson. Tell me about who who are they for a start. So, so George P. Johnson was a real man, uh, lived on the Great Lakes of Michigan in Detroit. His family had a sail-making and flag-making business. And uh, turn of the century, Henry Ford, Model T, um, Ford, obviously out of Detroit. 1908. Um, yep. And so... From about that period on, uh, the George P. Johnson Company, as it's referred to in the US, um, started producing marketing and collateral for the early motoring companies. So they took their flags and sail-making equipment to making signage and bunting for some of the first auto shows in America. Um, 104 years on, um, it's now a global business. Uh, we've worked with Toyota here in Australia for over 30 years. Uh, IBM is an 18-year relationship. And when you say we've worked, I mean, do, what does George P. Johnson do for, say, Toyota in Australia? Uh, so we we produce for Toyota all of their internal events and communication uh, and then all of their dealership network events. So um, for the launch of the new Hilux, um, Toyota will have a an end-to-end marketing plan for that. Uh, George P. Johnson will look after the component of that marketing plan that speaks to all of the dealer network. So we work with everyone from the president down to the sales team to make sure that that vehicle has the best chance at life of succeeding once it rolls out on the dealership floor. I have a Toyota Hilux, actually. So do I. They're great cars. Yeah, I drove it in this morning. I love it. I got one on my farm as well, but I drove one in this morning. I love it. And it's uh, my good mate, Johnny Rocker from Sydney, Sydney Toyota, uh, asked me, would I be bothered driving it? And I said, yeah, no dramas. And, uh, it's a bright blue one, um, which is cool. Um, my kids think I'm a bit of a, a bit of a lab driving around, but uh, but I know secretly they'd love to have it. So, I, I actually love it. It's it's a rogue, one of the rogues. Yep, rogue the rogue version. Yeah, it's so a great I, car. I drive the SR5. Yeah, also bought from Mister Rocker. Yeah, and uh, I, I have to tell you now, mine wasn't bought. Well, so yeah, well, I, I get a good discount because of the the yeah. Toyota GPJ thirty yeah. year relationship, but I still buy. He's a good cars. man, Johnny Rocker. He is a good man. I've known him for a long time. So that's what George P. Johnson does. And now your role in George P. Johnson's so, specifically, so or I'm the managing director of, of George P. Johnson in Australia, in Australia and, and New Zealand. Yep. We've just uh, opened an office in Auckland. Um, there's 105 staff um, across Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, and and Auckland. Um, Sydney's head office with about 65 people. Um, and we do everything at George P. Johnson from um, you know, management of client through to uh, a full strategy team where we understand you know, who the audiences are that we're trying to talk to, um, to a creative team. They come up with you know, big ideas based on that strategic insight. And then we have event producers to be able to deliver those events. So will they t- take me through it? Because I mean, I, I have been lucky enough when the Australian CEO of Toyota, which was John Connemus yes. many years ago, a good many mate of mine, uh, we've, uh, you know, we've got that, you know, I met him through the, like the old Greek connection um, mm-hmm. and uh, he was a bit of a legend within Toyota. He still is. Many years. Yep. And uh, uh, Johnny used to ask me on many occasions to go overseas and um, speak at events and I knew it was a charge of fee. I used to do it just, it was just cool to be there. And uh, and on a few occasions, uh, my good mate Nick Politis, who's one of the bigger yep. Toyota dealers in Australia, neither one of us had a partner. And uh, he used to take me as his girlfriend. But, well, you know, we're not gay or anything, but, like, he, he could always take someone because that was sort of part of the rewards of the dealer, dealer group. Yes. You know, like, he was one of the biggest in Australia, still is. And uh, I used to get to – they would pay my way and um, – and accommodation, airfares and all sort of stuff. And all I had to do was do a talk. And I used to give an economic update or something like that to all these dealer, dealer principals who would actually own these tours. I went to places like um, oh, Doha, I went to Oman, I went to uh, Dubai, I went to Cannes when the film festival was on, I went I went to Alaska. Like I, got, I went to so many cool joints. Yep. And, the, and I used to think to myself, these events are fantastic. 
they, I mean, I, they would take them on, they would do for the dealer principals things that dealer principals would never even think about doing. And they're a tough group because you think about you're communicating to that same audience over and over and over again. How do you continue to surprise and delight them? Yeah. Um, and continue to give them passion for the Toyota brand. Now, there's a commercial side to that, sell more cars, make more money. But at the same time, um, people like John Rocker and John Connemos, there's there's a relationship there that exists because of the uh, the, the brand association of Toyota and there's a, there's a familiness to that. And it I is the biggest selling car in Australia, biggest selling, or the, the Hilux is the biggest selling car in Australia. Yes. Yeah. And I, like I, uh, Side story for me personally, um, my my family grew up in the Camden area, um, as I said. Uh, Clinton's Motor Group is part of our family, so I've had a very long relationship with automotive industry. So I'm a bit of a, a car nut and passionate about cars. Um, but the, the dealer relationship is, is a critical one to, to Toyota. And so um, for us, all of those events, and there's, there's maybe... 10 to 15 events a year that we, we run for Toyota. So do you run it for the, do you run the dealer principal events? Yes, we do. So you, you, yep. I mean, I, I know they've got another one coming up in yep. July this year. I yep. mean, is that something you would, we're, get, yeah, we're, you, we're doing, you get yep. involved in it. So I won't say where it is. Um, cause, cause um, I guess it's, you probably haven't announced it to your dealership, no, but, but, uh, it's a great spot. Let me tell you, <laughs> one of my favorites. Anyway, point is that the, you, you run these, or you, you arrange these events. Yes. And, and what's really important here, I mean, I think for listeners is that, what we're talking about here is what Caleb's business is doing, uh, George P. Johnson, they're doing for Toyota in this example, is that they're rewarding the dealer principals, and this could be staff, this could be franchisees, whatever the case may be, but they're rewarding the dealer principals beyond commissions and or uh, money, but they're rewarding them um, by giving them a recognition, that's really important, Correct. and two, um, doing something for them that they would not ordinarily get to do. So it sort of makes it more reason why you, you would perform better and are happy to stay in the Toyota family. Yeah. Is that about right? I think so. And, look, you know, it's... Money can't buy. Well, money can't so, buy. It's, it's all also, experiences. It's about experiences. Uh, it's widely known that a lot of dealers are multi-franchise dealers. Mm. They're not just selling Toyotas. Totally. They'll be selling BMWs or yeah, Ferraris. 100%. or So when someone walks onto the car lot, why would they choose a Toyota over choosing a Mazda, for example. And a lot of what that comes down to is the type of relationship that you can build very quickly with the sales staff from a dealership. Now, if Toyota can look after those staff and they can reward them and recognize them for the hard work that they do in supporting that brand, then they might actually be more inclined to sell a Toyota to you than they would say a Honda. Well, uh, that's, that's a really example. good point, Calvin, because like for me, if I'm thinking about, I feel like a steak tonight, um, I will th- won't think about the restaurant so much. I'll think about the individual who's in the restaurant. It could be the, the wait staff. It could be the chef. It could be the owner of the restaurant. But, but I will think about where's a place where there's a person who's given me a good experience in relation to steak. Yes. I have bought pretty much all my life either – um, a BMW, a Mercedes, or a Toyota, okay? And the reason why the three of them is because I only think about the three individuals who, by the way, were not Johnny Rocker today. It was no. Johnny Rocker back 25 years ago, and he's a much different person. He's, yep. Today he's got a really big Toyota dealership, but then he was a, a Lexus dealer, I think. Correct. In, the, in um, King's Cross. Um, a, a BMW, the same, and Mercedes, the same. I had an individual in those places who has become a friend of mine who I've kept my relationship with yep. over the years. But I haven't so much kept my relationship. They're smart. They've kept their relationship with me. Yeah, They continually contact me. Um, Mark, you want to come and have a look at this new BMW, blah, blah, or this new Mercedes-Benz or this new Toyota. And they're the only, the only three cars I ever think of, three brands. I mean, I'm fortunate enough to be able to think of those. But Toyota's, you know, it's a more of a an average man's car, yep. so to speak, in terms of pricing, mm-hmm. price points, although that Hilux is quite expensive. But nonetheless, it's not like your BMW or your Lamborghini, but I, it's because people, individuals, have been always coming back to me. So they have learned to build really good relationships for me. And I think anybody who's listening to this, customer service and customer care has to be about the experience that you have, the, the individual who you're buying from. Yep. And that experience 
is really important, but then you teach those experiences to your salesperson who might end up becoming the dealer principal one day. You teach that to them by all these sort of events. These sort of events show them how those experiences work. And that's what ultimately uh, is, is, is modernly referred to in marketing as brand experience. It's all those individual touch points that you have as an interaction with that brand that helps you form the judgment of, of what that experience is. And it's either a Sometimes if it could be a bad brand experience, you know, it's a call center based experience, you know, with Telstra and you're in an offshore phone place and it's like, this isn't fun. I'm, I'm not getting what I need to get out of these guys. Or generally in the event space, it's a one-on-one interaction with a real person and those experiences when done right can change the, sh- the perception of the customer to, to hopefully want to purchase or be an advocate of that brand, which is clearly what you've had. Totally. Over a period of time. Well, like, for example, uh, John Rocker was the BMW Sydney um, dealer principal one stage course, there. Yeah. And uh, he introduced me to a guy there um, who, um, Jimmy, and Jimmy's a great salesperson, who's, you know, BMW's number one salesperson in Australia and has been for many, many years. And I built a relationship with Jimmy. And uh, and it's he gives me good experience every time. Yeah. And when John was there, John actually, I bought a BMW four-wheel drive off him and it you know, it was unfortunate. It was a secondhand one, but for my farm and I had a bad experience, something went wrong. But John turned that into a good experience. He's a genius. So like, he's the best salesman I've ever met. Yeah. I, I've never met. I mean, I, I recently I held a, a, what I call a masterclass and I held it and there was, you know, we, I spoke to 5,000 people across Sydney, Melbourne and um, Brisbane. And uh, in the Sydney one, John came along with his team and uh, I embarrassed him by si- signaling him out or singling him out of the crowd of, there was 2,000 people there. I'm um, saying that guy there is the best salesman I've ever met in my life. Yep. John Rock. And it's not because he's fast on his feet or he's clever or whatever. It's not because he probably is all those things, but he's, that's not because that. It's because the experience he gives me is first class. Yep. First class. And he's the dealer principal. He doesn't even need to be that way, but he still is. And he's an extraordinarily friendly guy. He's a good guy. He's honest, but he makes you feel good. And is that what we're talking about here? Experiences? Experiences. And if you think about the world that we live in today that is so heavily influenced by digital mediums, your iPhone, broadcast, what you're selling, seeing on TV, um, there's a lot of messaging and a lot of communication that's getting thrown out at people. And I think that um, the the in-store, the retail experience or the dealership experience or the event experience, because that's maybe the platform in which you can have that interaction is becoming so much more important to both the brand and the customer because it's where those true connections can be made. And I think that's where, you know, going back into everything that I've done from nightclubs to Europe and and the Gucci family are all of those individual experiences that I've had and now bringing that into brands and saying, hey, this if you want to connect with your customer, these are the things that you really need to start to think about. Like, you know, what are the emotions that you're trying to create when they come into the room? What are you? What are the messages that you're trying to get them to go away with? And there's a lot more science to that than once upon a time you just throw on an event, a bunch of party pies, and yeah, yeah. you know that's that that's the the base layer. Because I was going to ask you, you has it changed? Really... I mean, what, what 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 I mean, what's the trend in terms of let's call them corporate events? Let's take dealerships out of it now, just yep. generally. Generally, what's the trend around? Because you know, my business holds my yellow brick road business holds events. Like we do once, twice a year we do get all our brokers, you know, 1,500 of them in a room at once and yep. we take them somewhere, you know, on a Fiji or whatever. And, um, you know, we hold events, we do things and they have, you know, but days out. But I keep thinking to myself, I'm getting bored with it. I'm thinking to myself, we're doing the same shit we were doing for, you know, I was doing 25 years ago when I was in Wizard. Yeah. Which, by the way, all those ideas I borrowed from America. Yep. I went over to America and got invited to one of the big broker event in America. I thought, shit, I can do that here in Sydney. And I did it. And yeah. I, I did it for the wizard guys. I did it year after year. And we've transported into the YBR business. Where, what's the thinking around corporate events now? So 15 years ago, the word was corporate events. Then you talked about experiential marketing. Their ways of you know create, using experiences to help people interact and to build better relationships. And And I think now we're kind of starting to probably be able to use data and the digital mediums to create more of those experiences and make them personalized. So once upon a time, you would go to an event and there would be one uh, set of activities that would be for all 100 people. In other words, just so people are listening, what we'd have with two days, maybe two, two day 
conference, conference whatever they call yep. it, and you know, it's up in Cairns. And the day one, you could you could uh, you might be able to listen to you know someone who climbed Mount Everest. It might be an inspirational discussion. There yep. might be a few you know someone talk about sales and marketing, product or, updates. Yeah, yeah. Um, then the afternoons we've got the afternoon off. We're going to do a boat rowing competition or some yep. thing like that. Game of golf uh, that night, you know, dinner, drinks, and there might be a you know a quartet come and entertain us. And the next day, blah, and then on the last night it'd be the awards night. Then everyone trot off the next day. So that's the normal thing I'm that was, used to. That was the, that is the normal thing. And that's look to be honest, that I would say for eighty percent of organisations, that's still what's happening. Right. Um, what we're starting to now get into is if we understand the customer or the audience that's coming, and we know that they are interested in all of these different things because they've filled out a survey or we've asked them a bunch of questions before they arrive. Why would we make them do the same thing as everyone else where they might be coming from very different perspectives? And to bring it back to the dealer perspective, you've got a metro dealer, you've got a rural dealer, you've got a dealer who's uh, new to the game, you've got a dealer like John Rocker who's been in the industry for 50 years and is, is really experienced. So you've got different levels of uh, understanding or situations that they're all in. So how can you craft that experience to be a little bit more individual based for all of them? So there's different ways of doing that while still containing it within the same event parameters. So uh, different things like having smaller sessions, but having more highly personalized information um, be put to them. Uh, we're working a lot in different uh, mixed medias. So audio, uh, uh, virtual reality, uh, augmented reality. So, you know, doing some one-on-one -on -one sessions with people um, and using that technology to do more individualized training. Uh, also getting back to, you know, real basics in terms of um, more tactical-based uh, learning because, you know, we get so much screen content these days that it's important for people to be able to actually build something or use their hands and, and kind of bring back that playful nature of, of learning. Um, and so that's kind of those experiences are individually crafted based on, you know, uh, profiling of, of groups. So uh, we're now very much thinking about the strategy and the science behind, you know, who is, the, who is the customer, what are they coming here to learn and how do we split them up into smaller groups so that we can give more personalized training to them. Because that's interesting. So the education piece is becoming front and center. Yeah. Educating or learning is probably a better way of putting it. But the, for the let's call it, let's look at the dealer principles here. The, the, by the way, dealer principles are the people who own the franchise, or, or for you know let's call the franchise for a Toyota dealership in wherever. And there's an individual or a couple of individuals in that. And uh, what Caleb's talking about here is um, sp specifically. Um, customizing based on the information you've learned about them, customizing experiences for those individuals. And what we're talking about here is to, looks like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like rising to the top is a learning. Um, I think so. And, and that's across, you've got um, obviously multiple different industry verticals that we work in. So we work with a lot of the big IT companies and they run big, you know, conferences where, you know, Amazon had their summit last week here in Sydney. Uh, there was 20,000 people that attended over three days. Um, so you know, the amount of uh, information and, and potential learning opportunities that exist in those big events um, is significant. So you've got the IT industry doing that. You've got retail that are, the learning experience is very much more around um, customer satisfaction and, and creating that in-store experience. Um, what we're doing for the deals is different. So it's all very different depending on the industry vertical. That it's interesting we're you did Amazon and retailers, you said, in the same breath. In the I mean, same they're, breath, they're, I know. They're sort of competing with each other. So, I mean, I, I find, uh, I mean, I guess what you're saying here isn't it's like everything I, I presume is science now is being in data or data giving us science yep. and, and giving us outcomes is now being applied to just about everything that we do. And now you're saying it's now being applied to how events are run. And events are very strategic and purposeful now. They're not just, oh, we better hold our event this year because we hold one every year. Yep. It's about uh, their objectives at the event holder, that's the, the franchise or the yep. Toyota themselves or Amazon themselves or the head of retail association themselves, what they want to get out of it. Exactly. And what they're trying to get out of is better better bottom line, better, uh, you know, a better culture within the business, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. So it's, the science has really been driven off the back of the data. Mm-hmm. 
and then you're executing after that. Yeah. Is that what I'm talking about? Yep. Yep. That's, that's, and that's, and that's, that's what you do. Heart, that's what I do. And then on the flip side of that, uh, there are a, a, there's a now a link between the advertising agencies and what we're doing because if you're going to blast a message, then you've got to actually speak to the people on the ground. And so um, that's where my role now is to work with those big brands and help them better understand their, their marketing practices so that there's a genuine connection being made with the customer because I think that's that can often get lost. in, in Same the- genuine connection you made with uh, Nicolas Cage when you saw him sitting in a boat. I always let everyone ask me one question because I've been doing all the asking questions here, um, and I'm going to give you a chance to ask me a question. So what one do you got for me, Caleb? So I, th- I thought about this because someone mentioned that I might get this opportunity. So I'm, a, I'm 34. Uh, I've had a life full of experiences to date, and I hopefully have a life full of great experiences to come. Got a nine-month-old baby at home. I'm running a fairly sizable business for what I think is my age at the moment. How do you manage to fit in everything that you do and keep the flow and the rhythm and the the Mark Burris kind of you know vibe to to your day? And is that a focus on health? The focus on mental well-being? Is it what's the what's the secret sauce for you to to continuing to to grow and learn and succeed? In a, in a world where time and pressure is mm. constant? Interesting question. Um, well, the first thing is I think there's a perception that I do do that and that, and I have to tell you that uh, I'm not that successful at it all the time. You've so got good marketing. So today it's a daily, these days it's a daily outcome for me. So um, I, I'm pretty good at forgetting about everything else that I've got to do other than the thing I'm doing at the time. Yep. So before I walk in here today into the studio, which we start at 8 a.m. in the morning, um, I'm usually thinking about a whole lot of other stuff and, and then, but the moment I walk in here, I'm actually on this and I don't think about anything else. And then when I walk out of here at uh, 9.30, I won't be thinking about anything else other than what I'm about to do. And usually what I do is I, I get on the telephone in my car when I'm driving from the studio back to my office and I already know who I'm going to be talking to at 9.30. So I'm very structured. Yeah. I'm also very routine driven. So I live to routines like which means I get really pissed off if I can't be in bed by quarter to 10 at night. Mm-hmm. And I get really pissed off with myself if I'm not out of bed by 4.30 in the morning, yep. at 4.30 in the morning. And it, and uh, I am I drag myself out of bed some days because I am tired. And, uh, but I make sure I just still get out of bed no matter what, summer, winter, no matter what. So routine for me, strict structure. I never look at my what I've got to do the next day until the next morning. Okay. When I first get out of bed, it's good advice. Because if I look at what I've got to do, um, usually I start thinking about it and I start stressing about it or get anxious about what I've got to do. So I'm very big on ordering my evening so that there is no anxiety before I go to sleep. Um, and I, I'm right. If I want to get right down to the detail, I read every single night and every single morning before I get out of my bed at four thirty, I learn something about learn something that it's got nothing to do with my business. It could be about uh, science or maths or something like that because of the things that interest me, um, but it's got no relevance whatsoever. 20 minutes of learning something every day, even if it's just a, it's just a small thing, and I exercise every day, yep. no matter what. I, ta- I drag myself to the gym. This morning I went to the gym. I didn't feel like it, um, but it doesn't matter. I just, as soon as I start, my blood starts to flow, I guess, and you know, I have a coffee before I get there. I t- make sure I talk to somebody. Every morning I like to say hello to somebody, um, and I... I do, I do it through coffee regimes, coffee shop regimes. So they have a couple of places I go to um, before I train I'm talking about and uh, and I know who's going to be there. I mean the proprietor yep. and have a mag. Yeah. And it gets my, you know, it gets me off whatever it is I was dreaming about or pissed off about from the night before and it gives me into, it gets me into a good mood. Um, so I'm really structured and I'm really purposeful like you, you have been in your past. I'm really purposeful about just about every hour of my day. Um, I'm really strict around my diet, and when I, I during the week and then on weekend I just let it go. I don't give a shit. So, discipline, routine, structured, probably boring. I have days where I, I fail sometimes, um, and on those failure days, um, it just reminds me of tomorrow. I'll pick it up tomorrow. So it's a daily thing for me. I, every yep. single day, I reassess what I've done, and I can say, and I'll say to you, the perception. That you know that I'm sort of somehow floating up there and above everybody else, and I never seem to get 
down. I'm always on, I'm on, I'm on, on. Um, that perception probably overall is correct over a whole year. But I tell you what, I have some shockers some days. I ha- and um, I really do have some shockers. And uh, like last night, for example, when I got home, I was really pissed off about something that happened. And I've I got to get it out of my head. And, um, and uh, you know, to me, the only way I do it is either listen to music or, uh, or I read or both. I have music going on my in my house 24 hours a day. When I'm asleep, when I'm awake, when I walk in the door, the music's on. I never turn the music on and it, because I never turn it off. The music is always, always on. Always on. Always on. When I get up in the middle of the night to take a leak, I can hear the music. I can't quite hear it from my bedroom because I set up. So, But when I go out of the bedroom into the bathroom, I can hear the music. So I have all these little... Yeah, small, tricks yeah. that I that I employ in my life and that I've taken a long time to develop, um, and that allows me then to be switched from business to business to business. So I've got lots of different businesses, and I'm switching every hour, every two hours between the various thought processes or how I think in relation to the businesses. These things that I do, these little tricks, allow me to get through that. Um, but I've been doing it for a long time, Caleb, and. Uh, you know, maybe I'm a bit like a bit of an old war horse, you know, like I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of got scars all over me and, but still the shape is still there and everybody thinks, how the fuck's he do it? Well, I've just been able to just keep traveling through it and, and, um, but it's a good question. And, um, at your age, it's funny at your age, I would never have thought to ask that question of anybody. Um, because in those days I just did what I did. I just got up, did what I had to do for the day. Um, and it's interesting people, someone of your age actually is asking, thinking about this and asking someone like me that question today, I'm very thoughtful about it, but when I was 34, I never gave it a second's thought and, uh, probably in hindsight, I wish I had of, cause I might've structured my life slightly different. And I will tell you this, you got a nine month old boy or girl, girl, mate, don't make the mistakes. I made this I, someone asked me this question last week at a function, don't make the mistake I made. Make sure that you enjoy, try and enjoy every single day of your child's life. Because I got four sons, yep. and I didn't do that because I put all my effort and energy into my business. And I actually, today I regret what I missed out on. So don't miss out on because right, you don't want, you don't want any regrets. Caleb, thanks for coming in. Pleasure, been awesome. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.